0: morning as Paul has been teaching joy to the church there in Philippi. Philippians 4 verse 1 says, therefore my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord my dearly beloved. We can see an idea somewhat of how much Paul thought of this church. It always amazes me, the more I think about it, how much you can feel the dearness and, and nearness that he has towards his brethren. And I really believe that's crucial, that we feel that way about each other. Even if there poses some challenges sometimes. Such as may be the case in verse 2. He says, I beseech you, Odius Some of your translations say, may you, odia. And I beseech Sentaki that they be of the same mind in the Lord. When he says that, it seems to imply that maybe they weren't. If I told my kids, you need to get along, then it's probably the fact that maybe they're not. And I, I think this is the case here. But we learn, though, that these are sisters. They are sisters who helped Paul in verse 3. He says, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, who helped those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. So either he switched the subject and he's talking about other women that have helped him other than the two that he just mentioned in verse 2, or this is his way of saying, these women have helped me and they're they're sisters, they're part in, in, in the book of life. They're going to heaven, but there's some kind of an issue of divide between them two. And what we learn is that sometimes well-meaning brothers and sisters may have a difference. Or maybe there's a rift or, or something that's not quite right. In which case, Sometimes there needs to be a third party, and that's why he says, help them. There's an advantage sometimes of bringing in a third party. Jesus taught the principle, even from the Old Testament, and established it that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. He also taught that whenever there's a fault with one and another, if there's a trespass, what you should do is you go to that person alone. That's the order in Matthew 18. Oftentimes, the reason why things do not get solved in the best way is because that is broken somewhere. If we would follow those principles, they're really simple. How do you deal with differences among people? Well, if there's a problem with someone, the very first step that you have is not go tell this person, not go tell that person, not write it in this paper, not put it on social media, not go here, not go there, go to that person. That is the order. If that was followed, then we would be following what Jesus said in Matthew 18, now, the aim there is get that solved. That's the aim, is be reconciled to the brother. If, if they've wronged you, go tell them. Don't tell everybody else, tell them. You don't need to go tell the preacher. You don't need to tell the elders yet. They don't even need to be involved. It's just between you and somebody else. And so if you have a problem with them, go to them. That's Jesus' way of dealing with that. Now... If they repent, forgive them, problem solved. See how quiet, you see how contained that is and how easy that is, if that is if that is followed? If, though, they decide not to listen, then take one or two more. One or two more is a small amount. You, don't, you still don't need to go to everybody you still don't need to put it on social media. You still don't need to do all of those other things. You, you simply go to the one. Or you bring one or, two, one or two. That's a limited amount. Now, if you want to bring in the one or two, could be a preacher or an elder, but not necessarily. And so at this point, it's only these. Here's the third party, though. One or two third parties. To hear the matter, hear both sides, make reconciliation. And then the hope, again, the aim is is that there's a reconciliation. Problem solved. Again, it should not go any further than that. You've gained your brother. But if they then neglect to hear them, then tell it to the church. If they neglect to hear the church... Then let them be as a heathen and a publican. Now this is how you solve disputes among two members of the same congregation. Okay. If we apply Jesus' principles from Matthew 18 to a situation like this, but here's the other thing. I'm I'm not even for sure if whatever was between these two sisters was necessarily a sin. Sometimes there could be a misunderstanding that's not necessarily makes them wrong before God. However, what we should see is we're not just wanting to just get along. As brothers and sisters in Christ, the aim should be full unity, which is more than simply me not saying anything or dropping it or not having a problem it should be that I want to be of the same mind with you. If I sense that something is off, something is wrong, there should be a, an act of seeking to make that right. And here, we don't know if either is an offending party. All we know is, and we don't even know what, what, what the deal is over. Uh, but what we have here is someone being told to help them. Now, what I might think about and other principles that the Bible gives in how to help, say, two parties get along, we are to be peacemakers. God is a, a peacemaker. Jesus is a peacemaker. We need to be peacemakers to be like him. Not peace at all cost. If there is a sin, the sin needs to be dealt with and repented of. But again, that should be the aim. But if it's not a matter of sin, it's just a misunderstanding or some other personality conflict, then there might be times where we learn to let those things go. If if those are not something written, if it's just an opinion, perhaps there should be a leaving each other uh, to to be themselves if, if there's no sin involved and accept each other as they are. If there's sin involved, then the sin needs to be repented of. But he says to help those women. Now, I think there's some other principles that we need to consider. That if these two sisters had helped Paul, that was a good thing. We don't need to exaggerate problems and blow them out of proportion and make them bigger than what they are little things sometimes can fester and they grow. And, they, and they, the, they grow into a bigger problem because we start imagining things in our head. We start assuming the worst in the other person and we jump to conclusions. I believe it's biblical for us to say, recognize Proverbs gives a few uh, recommendations and wisdom uh, factors about this. A whisperer separates chief friends. Isn't it amazing how you can have two who were close at one time, but work gets out, and then all of a sudden, now they're not close anymore, and now there's a, tr- a trust broken because word was spread. So one, one feels slighted. Whispering can harm Great relationships, so be very careful not to do that. Don't betray the trust and don't be spreading gossip or sowing discord. God hates such things. He abhors it. Any kind of any effort designed to divide or put any kind of barrier between one brother and another or one sister and another, is wrong. God hates that because he wants us to be in unity. So don't be a whisperer or a tale-bearer. Love seeks to cover a multitude of sins. Now, that doesn't mean sweep it under the rug, but it means contain it. If I love you and I know something about you that's private, then if, if I really love you, then I want to keep that as private as possible. Because I care about you. And if I put myself in your shoes to love my neighbor as myself, I really wouldn't want someone telling something about me that I didn't want spread, even if it was true. And so I, I believe that sometimes we make excuses for gossip. We might say, well, it's true. Well, it doesn't make it right to gossip even if the facts are true. Love seeks to cover all transgressions. Not as in pretending like it's not there. That's not the idea of covering it. But, but seeking reconciliation with a person with God. Now, if the full repentance is made, then you don't spread it, then love would say, let's keep it as, as quiet as possible. Nobody else needs to know about it. That, that is the aim of Matthew 18. Another thing is, if let's suppose there is a, two sides to an issue, and there always are. If there's two people involved and there's a dispute or there's something between them, I can guarantee you each side has their own point of view. Now, I've got to be careful. If I'm the third party, if... If one comes to me, but they have not approached the other yet, I think I need to stop them. I think I should say, have you approached them yet, the one that you have the problem with? If they have not, then I need to tell them, okay, before I hear the rest of this, you need to go to them privately as Jesus taught. Before we continue to, do, uh, to, to discuss this, I want you to go talk to them. I think that's the best way to handle it rather than me hearing the hearsay. And also I think we have to be careful that the Proverbs say the first person to plead their case seems to be right. So so think about this for a minute. Have you ever had a case where someone said something to you? Because this is a brother or a sister, you tend to believe them because they're not the type of person who would be lying, so you believe it. But you've already jumped to a conclusion, you heard that side of it, and you haven't heard the other side yet. So wisdom would say, wait before you jump to any conclusions, hold that, take that into account what you've heard, But recognize the other person's side of it needs a; they need to be heard before you jump to those conclusions. That would be the fair thing to do. And there's other proverbs that say things like, "He who answers a matter before he hears it, it's a folly and a shame to him." So let let's suppose someone comes to me, and it's a brother or a sister, and they say something to me about some situation and I've already got my mind made up because I believe this one party, but I haven't heard the other side yet, I'm acting unwisely because I haven't heard both sides. And so perhaps what I need to do is hear the other side before I make any conclusions and, and, and weigh them both together fairly and not show partiality. That's another principle. If it makes it into a thing of, well, I like this brother better than I like this brother, or I like this sister better than I like this sister. And and, and so there's a partiality thing because I feel close to one or the other. Well, now I'm not acting wisely either. So I, I hope that you can see that if we would practice some of these basic common sense principles that Proverbs tells us, and we would practice love, and we were to practice keeping it as contained as possible... That when such time there is a third party needed, then the third party should not take sides. It's not about this one versus that one. It's not about I'm jumping on you know, uh, this one side of an issue or the other. I need to weigh them both out before I make a, make a decision. And then I need to do it fairly and justly as best I can. If, and if I can't make that determination then maybe that's where the one other comes in to hopefully do that. But in verse 3, when he says help those women, I think he's asking for other people to help these two and and to work together. There's an act here of realizing you're on the same team. It's not a this one versus that one mentality like like it's a war. It should be we're all brethren here. We're all in the same boat. We're all trying to go to heaven. Assume the best until there's reason to see otherwise. Don't assume the worst. That's another thing that sometimes happens. Sometimes we hear something and at the first hearing of it... I've already jumped to the conclusion. I've already blown it out of proportion. And I've assumed, well, I can't believe they would do that. And I've already established a judgment on the matter. I need to be careful about that. These women had their names in the book of life. I don't need to make more of it than that. I need to help them maintain the relationship and fellowship that they have and, and work it out. I believe that brethren should give one another a greeting. I believe brethren should still love one another. Even in the event that let's say you walk away and you say, okay, I don't like this. This one doesn't like that. They both still have their point of view. And let's suppose neither is d- deciding to, to change. But if there's no sin involved, there has to come to a point where both agree to, to accept each other if there's no sin but if there's sin it needs to be reconciled or else so in this case i'm going to assume that this is something that could be worked out it would be a shame for two people who are on the way to heaven to not get along here and to cause something between them we need to make sure that we love one another and practice those things now In verse 4, it's interesting that he says, Rejoice in the Lord way, And again, I say rejoice. I think there are things to be thankful for. And, you know, whenever there is a a difference, it's easy to to think only on that one problem and forget all the good that's been done by uh, everyone involved. We ought not be the kind of people who have the laser focus on the fault, and then we forget the good as a part of it. Uh, Think about what is good and rejoice in the Lord. Uh, Verse 5, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The King James says moderation, but that's not the modern term moderation like we tend to think as in balance like do all things in moderation that's not the definition of this word some of your translations I, th- I think the better word here is gentleness let your gentleness be known unto all the lord is at hand and I, it makes me ask this what am i known for what are you known for Are you known to be the kind of person that's like a ticking time bomb that if someone were to approach you, then you're going to blow up? That everybody's got to walk on eggshells? (laughs) You know, that like, better not cross that person because it's going to be a bad day. Uh, It ought not be like that. What are you known for? Is it known to everybody that if somebody had a problem with you, that they could approach you and you would hear them and you would stay calm and, it, and that you would handle it appropriately. That's, that's what he's saying. Let your gentleness be known unto all. And the Lord is at hand. If I, if I think about this, that God is watching me, and let's suppose I am harsh with you uh, and God's watching me, he's at hand. He's nearby. What does that look like to him whenever he's being gentle to me? I want the Lord to be gentle with me. I do not want to be chastised with the Lord's full power, and neither do you. And so we need to extend the same grace to one another. We need to be approachable. As James teaches that the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle and easy to be entreated. We need to be the kind of people that others can come and talk to and feel that if I ever have a problem with this brother or this sister, that while I might be nervous, that's natural, but that I have a a confidence to know, no, that brother is going to hear me out. This is not comfortable to have to confront, but I know that this brother is is fair-minded. I'd, now think of the opposite. How how much it would not work out well if 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 I was known to be the kind of person that that someone's now tied in knots. This is, this is going to be terrible. If I if I go talk to Andy, it's going to be bad. You know, I just I just dread it. My stomach's in knots because I I just don't know how this is going to go. I need to be the kind of person that is known to be gentle. In verse 6, he says, be careful for nothing. and That doesn't mean careful as in uh, giving care, but the care here is more like being anxious, having worldly cares, having uh, too much wor- worry and sorrow over material things. As Jesus taught in Matthew 6, if you set your affection on heaven where thieves can't... Uh, if, you're, if you're laying up riches in heaven, thieves can't steal that. And, and, and it doesn't grow old. It can't be damaged. Don't be worrisome about stuff. So many times we're worried about the wrong things. And it's just stuff. It's stuff that ain't even going to last. What we should... Uh, be caring about is what he then says things that are true and honest and just and lovely if we focus on those things rather than all the things that may or may not happen all the things that give us stress and anxiety uh, that can cause ulcers that can cause problems and depression and and mental uh, issues and it's not good there are times where we need to give it to God and pray and be thankful for what we have and focus on those things rather than on the things that rob us of joy and peace and thankfulness and hope. You know, if I'm going to sit down at night and I'm going to watch the news, then... What, and if that gives me anxiety because of all of the things that the news has, then maybe perhaps what I need to do is recognize that that's not healthy for me. If it's robbing me of sleep because I am thinking about this, or I'm scrolling social media right before I go to bed, that, that's a terrible recipe to keep you awake. But rather what you've got to do is think about things that are true and lovely. Put so much of the right things in your mind so that the, the other things that wants to rob you of joy and happiness and, and, a, and peace with God, don't let it have a place. Think so much about the other things that it, those other things don't even have time. And if, if you know this in yourself that you have a, a, a struggle with this, my advice would be to put down the things that's causing the stress and the anxiety and avoid those things. If, if any influence, whether it's whatever you're watching, who you are around, who you're listening to, what books you're reading whatever you're taking in, if that has an influence to invade your peace of mind, then you need to not let that thing take your mind hostage. You, you need to take ownership that you are in control of your mind, that you should decide what goes in your mind and not allow the way the world thinks to creep into the way you, that you're taught to think. Isn't it interesting that while the disciples were afraid they're going to die and they're on a boat and there's a storm, that Jesus is sleeping? And how he was able to do that? Well, one is he's the master of the universe. He has all things in his hand and he upholds everything by the word of his power. I'm sure he's got it covered. So... But if I have faith in the one who can do that and who can calm the sea and uh, things outside, then I need to learn that there are a lot of things outside of my control. There are things that God can control and I can't. I can pray about it. I can ask God about it and know that he knows my needs and he's heard it. And at some point, I've got to leave it in his hands and let it go. Express it. If I have a doubt, if I have a worry or an anxiety, express that to God. Pray about that. But then leave it there. And then me focus on things that I can focus on. Things that I can control. And that is my own influence, what I'm putting in my head. Or what I'm saying or what I'm doing. Verse 9. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Paul is not saying, you know, this is easier said than done. Don't do like I do. I'm sitting here in the jails. I'm under house arrest in Rome, and, you know, woe is me. You know, it's just terrible, and I don't see any end to how it's going to go. Don't do like I do. You, you, you have peace now, you over there in Philippi. No, Paul is saying, follow my example. And, and, and the marvelous thing about this example is you look at the things Paul has been through, you look at all the things he has experienced and what he is currently experiencing as he's writing this being under house arrest. This is not a man who has everything out here in the world going perfectly for him. And yet the man is a thankful man. And yet he is he, he seems like a joyous man. And so he's saying follow my example. I want to be to the point where I could say as Paul did on how to think, about worry, about anxiety, or about being thankful, about having the right mindset of joy and peace. Follow me. I want to be the kind of person that I could say that. And you want to be the kind of person that you can say, follow me, be like me. You'd be better off if you would follow my example in this. That's, that's what Paul was able to do and we, we need to be able to work towards the end of doing the same thing. Verse 10, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again wherein you were also careful but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. When I think about this, Paul's re- what is Paul doing? He's looking at the bright side of things. He's a very positive person. He's thankful for the things that he does have, not dwelling on the things that he doesn't. And because of that, that's allowed him to be a very contented man. The problem is, so many times, it's easy for us to never be satisfied. And it's interesting how you can take someone who seem to have everything materially and they're still not peaceful people, they're still not thankful, they're still not contented, they're still not satisfied, they're so picky about all of the accommodations and every little thing having to be perfectly right and they're still never satisfied. That is a recipe for misery. But yet there are some people who have very little and they have a hard life. Maybe they might have health problems. Maybe they might have been through some very uh, tough situations and hardships and yet they seem to have a joy about them and a contentedness about them. I'm going to say... That it's less about the circumstances and the environment and what happens to them, but more about what happens between their ears. What happens in their mindset, how they choose to think and react to it. It is an amazing ability that God has given us to focus on things like this to be contented Paul is is not bringing this up because he's wanting them to give him more money or more material help. He's wanting to acknowledge their gifts to him. But he's not saying, I'm, I'm bringing this up because I want you to give more. He's bringing it up because he wants to thank them. And he's also saying he's learned to be content. Now, I think if Paul could be content while being under house arrest, what's stopping me? What's stopping me to be content in my stage in life? Am I only going to be happy when I get this thing that I'm working towards or when I reach this thing that I'm wanting? And then whenever I get that, now I move on to something else There's nothing wrong with working towards things. There's nothing wrong with having goals and ambition in and of itself. But in the meantime, be thankful for what you do have. Be thankful for where you are. Count your blessings. Paul says, I know how to be abased and to abound. Now some people, I, I guess, may struggle with one of those. It might be that it's whenever i i have more than now i'm it's hard for me or or maybe maybe whenever i everything's are going well you know i tend to get relaxed and and or something like that and then other people they are only reaching out to god when they're in need and then they get comfortable again and then and then they go back to some bad habits or something or some people they tend to Uh, maybe struggle with one of these, but he's learned to do both. He's learned to be without, and he's learned to have all that he needs. And when he says, and to abound, I I have to wonder how, how much of an abounding actually was that in Paul's circumstances. So he has to be a thankful person to reach a point that he could say, I'm full. I don't really need anything else. I have all I need. When he says in verse thirteen, "I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me," I don't think he's talking about trying to accomplish something. I think he's talking about, in the circumstances of having what he needs, or or, or having less, or any of the hardships. He can get through it as long as he's got God. And I think that's a powerful thing. Is focusing on having God in your life, having Him in your fellowship, being right with Him. If God is with me, it really doesn't matter as much whatever else happens to me or what others say about me or what they do to me. As long as I have God in my life. I think the most powerful example of this, other than Paul, would be Joseph. In the Old Testament, he was sold into slavery, but it says the Lord was with him. He was betrayed by his brothers, and they were hate- he was hated. And he was robbed of his livelihood and his life, but yet the Lord was with him. And then he was put in jail because he was accused falsely, and yet the Lord was with him. If I have the Lord with me, no matter where I'm at, can I be content? Can I be content with God? Is God enough for me to be thankful for? Or do I have to have all of these other material things? Verse 14, Notwithstanding you've well done that you did communicate with my affliction. Communicate here. Some of yours may say have fellowship or support or have partnership the greek word here for fellowship is talking about a partnering in giving to a saint or to a preacher sometimes people when they hear the word fellowship they think food we need to get out of that mindset and think more spiritually In scripture, the word fellowship is not food. Fellowship is a spiritual thing. What I would invite you to do is try to search everywhere where the word fellowship is mentioned in the New Testament and notice how it's always spiritual. It can be supporting a preacher or a a needy saint in the gospel with money. It can be a sharing in the gospel and helping each other, whether by prayer or by uh, helping in the labor and work itself. It's the idea of joining hand in hand in, in the same cause. That's the idea of fellowship. And that's what he's talking. He's, he's thankful that they had given to him and that they were the only ones who gave to him at certain times so in verse 15 you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving but ye only that's the fellowship he's talking about is the giving and receiving of what he needed verse 16 for even in Thessalonica you sent once and again into my necessity not because I desire a gift but I desire fruit that may abound to your account he's letting them know I'm not saying this so you give more to me I'm saying this because I want to thank you. Verse 18, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now, we don't have physical sacrifices in the New Testament for atonement. Jesus did that. He was the sacrifice for our sins. So we don't need any more sacrifices. But this kind of gift that they gave to him was very much like a free will offering from the Old Testament. It's, it's a similar idea. It's the idea, uh, he says, that it's a sweet smell. It goes up before God. God recognizes it. In verse 19, he says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Perhaps it was that Paul felt indebted to them for what they had done for him and that's how we should feel when others give to us I've been on the receiving end of so many gifts so much, so much support so much generosity from brethren that I know I could never repay it. Uh, it it's a humbling thing to be on that receiving end now what it teaches us is that we want to give back but there are sometimes we're not in a position to give back and I think This may be the case with Paul. And so he's saying, and he's hoping that God will supply what their needs are. And then in verse 20, Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. I think it's very important that we greet one another. That when we see each other, we should... Look each other in the eye. Smile. Be happy to see one another. Say hello. Shake a hand. Give a hug. Or if any of those are not the way the other person likes to receive that kind of greeting, then acknowledge that or don't, don't do that whatever it is. Some people don't like to shake hands or some people are not huggers. That's okay. Greet one another though. Do it in a holy way, uh, but acknowledge one another. I have seen in the past, not here, thankfully, but I've seen brothers give cold shoulder to each other because there's some problem or something. And they won't even speak to one another. Give, give the cold treatment. That is not the way that we need to treat one another. He's encouraging here to salute or greet And then verse uh, 22, he says, All the saints salute you chiefly, they are of Caesar's household. And I'm amazed here again, how did Caesar's household get into this? Paul's under house arrest, and somehow it appears that there are people within Caesar's household who have been converted. and are now brothers and sisters in Christ, possibly, and they are wanting Paul to send their greetings back to the brethren in Philippi if they know that he's writing this letter. I think that's wonderful. That in his circumstance, he could, he could be tied down in bonds. Yet, he's still looking for ways to save people. He's still looking for ways to reach their souls. I need to be about that business. No matter where I'm at, no matter what, Hindrances are given to me or that I'm placed in that I need to seek opportunities to be an influence to reach other people and and win them for the Lord. You may be where you are right now in order to be able to, to win a soul. Every time you see a person, see them as a potential soul that you might be able to reach. That's how Paul was able to reach the Philippian jailer. That's how Paul was able to reach some in Caesar's household. And it's probable that the Caesar was Nero. And if, the, if that's true, then that was not a very kind Caesar to Christians. It has been told that later he would put Paul to death and, it would, and also he would burn Christians at the, in his garden as he laughed riding in his chariot. And this same uh, emperor would possibly burn Rome and play the fiddle as it burned and then blame it on the Christians. At least that's, that was the rumor. That's the kind of Caesar that had some in his household that we're able to send greetings back to the brethren in Philippi. Now think about that. Verse 23, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. As Paul does in all his letters, he talks and focuses on the grace of God. God has been gracious to him. He wants to extend that grace to others. And isn't it beautiful if we have that mentality? We all need grace. And so extend the grace to you. If you're not right with God, God is willing to accept you if you meet his conditions of grace. And those conditions are not hard. They're not impossible. They're very easy to meet. If you believe with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, if you're willing to change whatever you're doing that's wrong, stop that and start living for God, if you're willing to confess, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, and you're willing to be baptized, then every sin that you've committed will be washed away when you come up out of the water. And you'll be a new creature. And His grace will save you from all your past sins. If you're a Christian, continue in the grace of God. Know that the grace that God has given you teaches you how to live and teaches you to live a godly way and deny ungodliness. Don't sin that grace may abound, but do your best to live for Him. If you need to make anything right, once you come to the front while we stand and as we sing.